Welcome to the Arate Podcast, the podcast created to help senior executives and the organizations they lead live up to their full potential. Join us for cutting-edge interviews with leading senior executive and board members across all industry sectors and for practical tips to accelerate your executive career. And now, here's your host, Richard Triggs. It's great to have you along today for the Arate podcast. My guest today is Tim Dwyer, and Tim Dwyer is a very long-term and good friend of mine and a good friend of Arate Executives. He is the Australian Managing Director of Sherlaws. And for those people who have been listening to the podcast for a while, you may remember that uh, one of my earlier episodes was interviewing Darren Sherlaw, the founder of Sherlaws, who has built a really fascinating business supporting privately owned organisations through growth and exit uh, in Australia initially and is now based in the UK. And uh, Tim runs their Australian operation. And I first met Tim when I was part of a program in Queensland called Queensland Leaders, and he was one of the facilitators there. And subsequently to that, I got to know him through the Key Person of Influence program. But Tim does some very interesting things now. He, as well as being managing directors of Sherlaws, he has started another business called Growth Metrics Australia. And there's a third business called The Business of Brand, or Bob for short, and essentially all three of these are around supporting organisations, not only small to medium, but medium to large enterprise, in really growing their business in a very strategic way. Tim's background was as the head of strategy for Telstra in their small to medium enterprise sales business, and he moved across into Sherlaws, which he'll tell you a little bit about in terms of his background in the podcast. And we talk a lot about the opportunities for organizations to grow through leadership, through attracting and retaining top talent. And he uses an analogy of a house, which uh, if you listen to the podcast, I had to ask him a few questions to get my head around. But uh, it's a great analogy, and I'm sure that you'll enjoy it. Now, one of the things you may notice in this podcast is there's a little bit of background noise for a little while. Uh, We were in a room and suddenly there was a lot of air conditioning noise. So please don't let that distract you. It's a great conversation, which I'm sure you'll enjoy. So sit back and enjoy this conversation with Tim Dwyer. Hi, Tim. Welcome to the Arate podcast. Uh, This has been a long time coming. We've (laughs) known each other for such a long time. It's fantastic to uh, have you uh, join me formally on the Arate podcast now. So for people who uh, don't know you, just tell us a little bit about your current uh, professional responsibilities. Okay, so I've got uh, I've got a number of responsibilities at the moment, so I've always got a finger in many pies. Um, so I'm still running the, the Sherlaws business locally, so that's in Australia, so I'm the managing director of that business. Um, but more recently, I've um, uh, become a, a group partner of a company called Business of Brand, uh, or uh, BOB for short, um, and uh, that's a business that we've been bringing out here from uh, the UK. Yeah. It's been tested uh, over there and been tested now in uh, the, the US and other countries, and uh, we're now bringing it into Australia and taking it into Asia. Mm-hmm. So that's an exciting project. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've also got another uh, company and another business called Growth Metrics. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one there is, I'll talk more about this if, you, if you're interested. Sure. Um, that one there is all about building foundations for growth. 
Right. Um, so the Bob one's all about the, the business strategy of growth, yep. and uh, growth metrics is all about foundation foundations to support the growth. Okay. Yep. I've actually had Darren Schiller on the podcast, oh, yeah, yeah. and Lindsay Boyd, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, who is the Bob lady. Well, they're, and, they're uh, the founders of that. Yeah. Right. So we're completing the trifecta. We are. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so talk us through a little bit of your your background. You know. From you know where you were born to how you've ended up doing what you're doing yeah. now. Um, so I was born in Sydney, yeah. um, um, on the North Shore. So I was very fortunate. Um, won lotto, I guess you can say. Right. Um, and uh, went to university out of Bathurst, which was a hell of a lot of fun. Um, and then came back to Sydney and started a sales career. Okay. Um, predominantly in telecommunications. So right. I, I ended up in uh, Telstra for nine years. Okay. Um, which was a fantastic experience because they were really going through the deregulation and they were going through the privatisation and there was a lot of exciting stuff going on. Right. Um, and what was your sort of more senior role there? Uh, well, my, la- my last role there was head of strategy for small and medium enterprise. Okay. And that was a national role? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that was where I came across Sherlock or I came across and met uh, Darren Sherlock. Yeah. Uh, because I was trying to work out how businesses tick. Right. Um, so in order to sell to a business, you need to understand the business. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I spent 18 months there trying to find someone that could tell me about how small and medium enterprise grow. Right. Uh, and no one could tell me. Sure. Uh, and um, so how did you first connect in with him? Uh, he was doing some work at the very senior level, at the CEO and board level. Um, around their strategy. Okay. And so I was fortunate enough to be introduced to... to the board of Telstra? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, well, it was the senior management team. So um, he was doing some work looking at their overall strategy from a uh, valuation point of perspective. Okay, sure. And um, after that, uh, I got to meet him. And my, my, my boss at the time was in the meeting and he was super impressed with what he heard right. and saw. And then I met Darren and I was su- uh, suitably impressed. And mm-hmm. he, he understands what he's talking about. He simplifies things. He can tell you exactly how growth works. He can tell you exactly how uh, valuation works. It's fascinating. So I've learned a lot of, that I've learned over the last 15 years has been from his genius. Right. Yeah. And so how did you come to work for him or with him um, having left Telstra? Uh, well, I, I, I finished up at Telstra. I, I, I'd run my course there. Okay. Sometimes you just run your, your yes. natural course, sure. and I, I needed my entrepreneurial spirit to be released. Um, so I, I, I left uh, Telstra and then uh, approached Darren and sort of said, "Are you looking for people mm-hmm. to uh, to help expand your business?" And he mm-hmm. said, "Absolutely." So. Right. And how many years ago was that? Oh God, that's coming up to twenty years ago now. Twenty years. <laughs> well, no, it was in right. two. Oh, it's two thousand and one. Okay. So yeah, so fifteen plus years now. Right, and uh, that business sure has been through all sorts of iterations. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah over yeah. that period. Yeah, yeah. Talk yeah. us through a bit of that. Oh, there's there's been partnership disputes. There's been it's successfully um, launched overseas. Uh, it's had private equity come in. It's. It's had so many different things. It's had it's had a lot of learnings. Sure. And how did you end up in Brisbane? Um, Darren actually asked me to come up here many years ago, um, and sort of said, "Well, would you would you mind going and, and, and kicking off Brisbane?" This is while he was still in Australia. Yeah. Well, no, he was just about to head overseas to the UK. Right. Um, okay. So that was just at the beginning of our global expansion. Yeah. Um, I wasn't ready to go overseas at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Jackie and I decided, well. Let's let's go open up a new territory back in Brisbane. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we came up here. We like it. It's a it's a, it's a good lifestyle. Uh, Brisbane's uh, a, a town that's on the move. Sure. And, and how long ago was that? That was 
Oh, God, that's coming up to 12, 13 years ago now. 13, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. okay, good. Yeah. And so, you know, um, before we start to get into some of the um, the things I'm keen to explore today, yeah. you, um, you know, you're a man, as you said, who's wearing a number of hats, but they're all sort of interrelated. Talk mm. about the dynamic between Sherlaws and the business of brand and growth metrics and, yeah. you know, how it all holistically works together. Yeah, so the way it works is... If you, if, you, if you look at an analogy around a house, uh, so a house has got its foundations, it's got its walls, it's got its windows, it's got its doors, it's got its roof, um, and it's, it's, it, there's a purpose for the house. Mm. So uh, what uh, the, the interrelationship is, is uh, the growth metrics side of things, um, using the, the, some of the Sherlaws IP at the moment, um, is predominantly around foundations. Mm-hmm. So in foundations, you'll have electricity, you'll have water, you'll have sewage, you'll have all of those amenities to make sure that the house works Mm -hmm. uh, and is livable. So uh, what foundations are for business is um, time utilisation. It's how you manage the money uh, and how you build the capability inside the the dwelling Mm -hmm. uh, for it to grow. Mm -hmm. So it's the thing that those are the three key areas that make Time, business. money, capability. Yeah, time, okay. money, and capability yeah. are the three things that make business tick. Um, and if you're not utilising time well, you're not utilising money well, or you're not building capability, fundamentally, a business will not operate successfully. Okay. And so, sorry, um, in terms of business of brand growth metrics and Sherlaws, are each of those looking at those independently or, or each no. of those are looking at them holistically? No, no, no. so, so um, holistically growth metrics um, and, um, uh, and the Sherlaws side of things right. um, comes into foundations. Okay. Yep. So that's all the foundation stuff. Right. Where Bob comes in, business of brand, that's the dwelling that sits on top of it. Okay. Right, so that's all the, the brand, the product ecosystem, the channels, mm-hmm. uh, and the sales strategy. That's all the stuff that people see. Mm-hmm. Right. When they get a new brand, they see it, they love it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, when they get a new product, they see it, they love it. Right. When they f- sign a new channel agreement, they, they get to see it, they love it. Mm-hmm. Right. They get the sale, new sales campaign, they get to see it, they love it. Right. Right. Whereas the foundations, you don't get to see and you don't love. Or another analogy could be um, an iceberg. Business of brand is a bit of the iceberg that's visible above the water. Yeah. And the other stuff is what is you know much greater mass. Well, but it's from yeah, yeah, I guess you, you could use that. Uh, the only the only issue with that analogy is um, icebergs are one third, two third. Right. Um, well, what, if you get the foundations right, uh, you it, it's really it can be managed for ten percent of the time. Okay. Fifteen percent of the time, okay. and the rest is then spent in the good revenue generation right. stuff. But you've got to get the foundations right. right. Yeah. And and so. Um, the, the key measure of the foundations is the percentage of time that it's taking up of your attention. Correct. Okay. And the business budget. Right. So, so you want you want to have uh, the business foundations solid, rock solid, and you might be spending 10 to 15% of your time and mm-hmm. your money mm-hmm. on business foundations. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same when you build a dwelling. Uh, the foundations will normally be uh, around about 10 to 15% of the overall cost. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, but then what you've got after that is you've got the dwelling and the walls and all the fi- fi- finishes and fixtures, yeah. which is all the detail that people get to see visibly. Right. Okay. 
Yeah, and that's the majority of where you want to be spending your budget. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, what you, what also sits there as well that the business of brand looks after is the uh, roof and the cavity in the roof. <laughs> so what's the cavity? <laughs> that's that's your hidden asset. Okay. So uh, when businesses grow, they they build assets. Mm-hmm. And quite often when businesses grow, or vast majority of the time when businesses grow, the asset, they, grow, they create these assets, and the assets sit in the roof. Again, they're unseen. Right. Because they come naturally or they come easy to the person growing the business. Okay. And they don't value them necessarily. But when you see an asset, and you can see how to extend that asset, mm-hmm. you can grow a business much, much faster. Okay. So let's start to, I suppose, dive a bit deeper into those because, um, you know, you've covered off a lot, you know, literally a couple of minutes. <laughs> so why don't we start with, you know, you, you, we were talking about the, the various types of businesses. Yeah. So let's start there. Okay. So um, types of businesses. Uh, so let's, let's stay on the, the house analogy for a minute um, and go to um, the different types. So... Um, type one is what we call a lifestyle house. Right, so that's where, or a lifestyle business. A lifestyle business, what they do is that it's, it's, it's like a four bedroom house. Right, it's built so that you can live in it comfortably and make money. And that's what we call a four person business. Okay. Uh, generally, in standard numbers, revenue numbers, a, 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 a good lifestyle business will go to about 600 thousand dollars revenue yeah with about two hundred thousand dollars profit yeah uh, with four people working in it harmoniously and when you think about you know all of the businesses in australia i imagine that the vast majority of businesses would fall in that camp about 95 percent wow so 95 percent okay okay great now what that's that's the first time now people have visions of grandeur quite often when they're setting up a business but a business can only ever grow to the level of capability of the person running it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, in, in business growth, it's, uh, business is all about numbers of people and systems and processes. So the numbers of people is what actually adds to the complexity of business. Yeah, I can know that from my own experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so, but what happens in business though is people grow businesses organically. Um, and by growing it organically, sometimes they then grow it into unprofitable territory because they haven't mapped it out. So quite often, a business will be might be turning over a hundred thousand uh, dollars per person. Yeah. In a business, they might be turning over four hundred thousand, five hundred thousand dollars. They put another employee on, so they've got five employees now. Then they put another one on, six employees, and when by the time they get to seven employees, they're turning over seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. Right. And only taking home fifty thousand. Yeah. So that doesn't feel real good. No, for I've, the been, business I've been there too. Yeah, yeah, I know. It doesn't feel good, does it? No, not at all. No. And what happens then is uh, cultural issues show up in the business, uh, financial issues show up in the business, um, uh, pe- just people issues in general, uh, process issues. Uh, what will also happen is all the employees will be bringing problems to the owner. The reason they're bringing problems to the owner is because they're quite often sitting in fear of their job. Yeah. Uh, and they're worried that they mightn't be adding the value uh, to keep their job. Mm-hmm. So then they'll bring all problems to the uh, to the owner to sort of say, look, I'm, I'm, I'm valuable, I'm bringing problems to you, I don't know how to fix it, you go fix it. Yeah. And so what happens is the owner ends up going and getting all the work, 
uh, delivering half the work, uh, solving everyone's problems, uh, dealing with cultural issues, and what they end up doing is they just end up downsizing. I'm starting to feel like this is a personal therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not easy. It's, uh, so, so I've been there. I've been there a couple of times myself when, I, when in the early when I first started uh, doing the consulting side of things. So I've been there as well. Sure. Uh, so what you do is uh, so that's the what the, the if we go back to the analogy, what that is is someone builds a four-person house which mm. is nice and comfy. And you've then just invited a whole lot of other people to come in right. and stay with you now, right? And so if you're in a four-bedroom house and you've got an extra three people, mm. what's going on in the house? Shenanigans. Shenanigans. Yeah, you've got uh, the kitchen stressed, the laundry stressed, so the infrastructure yeah. is stressed. Yeah. Um, and then you've also got the stress over uh, who sleeps in what bedrooms mm-hmm. and how much. So everything just gets out of kilter. Mm-hmm. So when we work with businesses through our program, so we, we run programs for the, that end of the size of business all the way through to businesses in the hundreds of millions. Right. Um, so when we run the programs for businesses going from six-figure or the, hun- the hundreds of thousands of dollars into the millions, yeah. uh, we show them how to uh, build out um, a townhouse mm-hmm. instead of a house. Mm-hmm. So we get the vision right of what they want to create uh, and so if you want to uh, build a business that, that sits in seven figures in the millions, you need to f- consider building a, being a developer and building a townhouse rather than just a lifestyle house. Right. Yeah. Yep. Now, a townhouse is different. So if you take three townhouses on a, on a nice block of land, uh, you'll have uh, slightly smaller kitchens, slightly smaller um, laundry areas, uh, but, but you'll, it, it'll, it'll have some common space mm-hmm. um, and you'll build, build that out mm-hmm. based on um, a townhouse structure, which is three by four, mm-hmm. which can then gives you 12 people. Right. And so what, how, where does the analogy fit in in terms of you know, smaller kitchens, smaller laundries and so on? What is, how does that relate back to business? Well, what it means is, uh, so you'll have support people, uh, the, that's the support infrastructure. But what it means is when you grow to 12 people, uh, you need to start out with that view, and you need, then need to um, recruit people that can do sales and delivery. Yeah. Most people go and recruit people that just do delivery. Yeah. Um, so once you've got a person doing uh, uh, sales and delivery, and then they've recruited two people to do the delivery, yeah. the next person they have to recruit is another them, another person identical to them that can yeah. do sales and delivery, yeah. and start another pod of four. Mm. Right, so therefore you can then do pods of fours, and once you get to a pod of twelve, you can then share the two two of the uh, the support resource, and that's when the business owner can pop up into um, a more strategic role mm-hmm. and spend more of their time working on the business than doing the day to day business. Scaling the business. Scaling the business right. exactly. So then once that that happens, and person gets through to twelve people, and they've got three. Uh, cohesive pods working in, in order, yeah. um, they then can start going from a uh, 1.2 to $1.8 million business and they can start scaling it through to a, um, a $24 million business. Right. Mm. So as I listen to this, I mean, I can directly relate to it as the owner of a professional services company, yeah. but from previous conversations, you've said that this model is equip- is pretty much across all types of business. It is. Not just professional services. Yeah, So, um, uh, the, the only, the, the, the difference is um, businesses that are uh, highly scalable, 
which are technology businesses or right. they're leveraging off some sort of inter, you know, intellectual property, mm-hmm. uh, their numbers will be different. So uh, one of the businesses I work with, uh, their numbers are 10 times that. Right. So their, their revenue per person is closer to a million dollars. Right. Yeah. Um, so they still go through the, the, the same issues, yeah. but it, it's masked right. because they're, they're making so much money. So, but they still go through the same issues. Okay, sure. And so, um, coming back to the type of businesses, you've got the founder, like myself, they get their team to four people, and then there's this constant tension of adding on resource and making less money and having more stress, so scale back to four. Yep. Then, it, it, then it moves into the townhouse analogy where they're actually building systems and process yep. um, to enable the, the owner. Yep. Uh, to then start to really, you know, um, scale the business to leverage it. Correct. How, how does this apply, given that a lot of people, you know, who listen to my podcast are corporate executives, they're not business owners. How does this relate to their world? Well, it's, I always find it's interesting. So it doesn't matter if you're in corporate world or not, the num- size of numbers of people in teams is critical. Right. Yeah, so number one. Number two, um, in the corporate world, they normally need to look at the supply chain. Okay. And who's, who's, who are they working with? Right. Um, and uh, I always sort of say to the corporates you, that they need to make sure that the businesses that they're working with are scalable um, and, they, and to be able to cope with the demand. So, so as they scale, they've got enough resources to yeah. meet their requirements. Absolutely. And, and, I mean, I've done an executive MBA and I've done a business degree and I would say most um, uh, senior executives have got some kind of professional qualification, but this is not something that is widely or even, you know, visibly talked about. No, it's not. Right. Why do you think that that is? Because there's no degree on it. And there's no, no, we've only just worked it out. Right. We've worked, we've worked this out over the last uh, 10, 10, 15 years. Okay. So uh, I, I couldn't find anyone when I was working in the corporate world that understood this. Right. Um, so that's when, that when I went, went, met with Darren Sherlaw, we, we I saw that he, he had worked out the rough structure and the, and the rough framework of why things existed the way they did. Okay. And that's when we decided, well, let's... Let's all leave our corporate jobs yep. and go and start up our own business uh, and learn this for ourselves. Right. Um, and, so, and we have. We've, we've learned the whole lessons. Right. Now, the other types of businesses, so there's, there's the lifestyle businesses, there's the townhouses, but then there's the more, more de- uh, sizable businesses. Yeah. And there's two different size, size structures that you can choose to scale a business. Uh, one is a corporate structure, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, you build it with very deep foundations, so lots of infrastructure, um, and, and it has to hit bedrock. So culturally, I, I use the culture as uh, the analogy for bedrock. Mm-hmm. So if a business, a large, tall business, doesn't have a solid infrastructure, and a solid culture of some sort, um, it falls over. So, uh, so, so, um, so you can build a, a corporate structure, and that's where you take a business... <coughs> From uh, uh, 1.8 mil to 24 mil, and from 24 mil to 120 mil, and 120 mil all the way through to the billions. Mm. Uh, so I'm working with a company at the moment that's uh, grown very quickly, mm. uh, and they're now turning over 480, mm. uh, and they're about to uh, make some very serious, uh, very significant decisions to push them all the way through and and, and compete into the into the into the the billion uh, right. dollar sphere which is a extremely impressive and so what you're saying is in order for these companies to push through these 
milestones yep. in terms of revenue. Yep. Um, one of the critical elements of that is uh, having the right culture. Yep. And so how do you define a good culture? A good culture, culture is about responsibility. So responsibility one, so one with uh, where blame is removed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the biggest distractions in business is the blame game. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one is respect. Uh, so a good culture has a, a high level of respect for for the human. Yeah. Uh, so it doesn't doesn't take advantage of the human. It it, uh, it respects everyone mm-hmm. uh, and has a respectful uh, approach. And the last thing is a good culture has the uh, means to remove bad culture. Right. So they have the means to remove bullying and um, uh, and actions that are adverse. Sorry, um, in in conflict with their intentions. Okay, and so um, I know that Shaw's is all about systems, and uh, it's incredibly impressive the, uh, the the systems that you have in your business. When you're looking at organisations, I mean, how do you measure those things to know quantifiably that they are actually achieving that culture? Uh, it's it's really interesting. Uh, you 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 measure energy, <laughs> so you can measure engagement these days quite. Uh, quite accurately. So you're talking about your fairly traditional employee engagement um, survey type stuff? You could do it that way, absolutely. Uh, And you measure uh, people's engagement, you measure their energy, you measure um, how how they feel when they they rock up. Um, One of the tests that I like to put is if someone's had a bad morning outside Mm -hmm. of the business and they walk in, if their bad mood impacts the business, then it's a bad culture. Are you talking yeah. only at leadership level or any employee? Any employee, right? So, well, and mostly leadership for this for this conversation. Okay. Because, but the thing is, if they if their bad mood or their bad experience, and they walk into the business, and it's shifted, and by the time they finish the day, they're feeling good. Yeah. Then that's a good culture, right? So right. It's, it's, so if if they bring their bad mood in, yeah, it's a poor culture. No. no. They bring their bad mood in and their bad mood impacts the culture yes. of the business. Right. So if a business, like if we take a business that's say uh, $12 million business. Right. $12 million business still the business owner is seen as the, um, as quite often the, the, the leader. And founder the, and CEO. Founder, founder and CEO. Yeah. Um, if they come in and they're in a bad mood, right? Yeah. Um, and everyone then picks up on that vibe. Yeah. And then that vibe goes through the senior management team. Right. It means there's something wrong with the culture. Right. As if, if the founder comes in, or the the, the, the leader comes in, and, and they've had a bad morning, something's happened, they've had an accident in the car, or yeah. something's outside of their controls, and they've just, they've just got crappy energy, which happens. Yeah. Uh, if they come in and everyone goes, oh, how are you? Or, and, and the energy's changed through the day, Right. Then it's a good culture. Right. So good culture is all about um, acknowledging that there's the stuff goes on in life. Yeah. But not letting that dominate. Yeah. Um, the the mission and the and the and, and the purpose of the business. Right. So is the leader just pretending? You know, I've had a shitty time. I come to work. I put on my happy happy joy joy face. 
Or is it something more than that? It's more than that. Okay. Yeah, so a good culture is energetically, you just pick up on it. Right. You, you walk in and it, it's a vibe. Mm-hmm. It's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and bad culture, you, you, you walk in and you, and, you, and you just get it. Right. Yeah. Now, when I say bad, I mean, bad could be, could be seen as judgmental as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just means that culture is not actually operating the way that people want to see it. It's right. just energetically, people mm-hmm. aren't ex- having the experience they mm-hmm. want to have whilst at work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we spend so much time working, we want to enjoy it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so um, culture, critical. Absolutely. What else? Uh, well, the, the foundations, as I said before. Yeah. So the foundations, and that's having the right people doing the right jobs at the right time. Yeah. Um, so that's having the, the structures uh, well organised, mm-hmm. um, and so and what I what I encourage businesses to do is to um, look for where they want to be, and then bu- then build uh, design the structure backwards from where they want to be. Right. Yep. So and that's where I go. Are you going to be a corporate structure, or the other analogy is, are you going to be a developer? Mm-hmm. Um, and then what a developer is is some a land developer is they might go get a whole lot of land, sit on it for a little while, um, and then they'll develop it over time, mm-hmm. uh, and they'll put golf courses in, and they'll put um, tennis courts and schools and shopping centres and all that sort of stuff. That's what I call a land developer scaling right. business. Okay, so give us so, a tangible example. That's a franchise. Okay. Yep, so a franchise or a licence system mm-hmm. is what I call a land developer. Okay. Yep. So and those and, and when I when I work and see a lot of franchise systems, I see that they don't see themselves that way, right. and as a result, they forget to put in the golf course and the tennis courts and the schools. So what do they do instead? They don't. So okay. So so therefore they fail. Well, they fail to meet their uh, meet their growth ambitions because they haven't in- finished the, the the development. What they've done is they've given they've handed over a, a house design. Yep. or a business design, they've handed over a, a, um, a brand right. and said, go for it. Okay. Yeah. So people buy that, they then try and work out how to do it, realise that it's more difficult than what it is, and then you end up with a crappy culture inside, right. inside a franchise. Okay, so I'm struggling a little bit with this analogy. <laughs> uh, for the sake of an argument, let's talk about McDonald's. Yep. Okay, so McDonald's is a developer. Yep. They have a certain style of house or yep. facility, which yep. is a McDonald's restaurant, yep. and they um, bang out these McDonald's restaurants yep. all over the world. Yep. What is the tennis court in the golf club? Uh, that's their conferences. <laughs> that's their conferences? Yeah. Right. Yeah, there's a, McDonald's have conferences, they have schools. They have, they have things to bring people together, to bring the community together. Okay, right. So, so, so you're talking about um, intangible cultural uh, community development. Correct. Okay, right. Yeah, good question. So that's exactly what it is. So, so when people build a, a community, a developer builds a community, the reason they build the schools, the houses, the, the um, golf courses or the marinas, whatever right. it is, it's to build community areas, yeah. So people can actually live and and, and, and have pleasure, right? Yeah. Same with business. When business uh, has a, uh, it needs it needs culture and it needs community. Mm-hmm. So land developers and franchises and licensed companies need to have cultural uh, foundations and cultural activities to, to bring everyone together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the most successful ones do it magnificently, mm-hmm. um, and they really know how to celebrate. They know how to have fun together. A lot of uh, a lot of visible ones are um, 
uh, real estate, the good real estate franchises. They'll have awards nights, um, and they'll have a whole lot of stuff that um, uh, really acknowledges the people and and brings them together so that they can um, uh, enjoy life together, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean by land development. You, mm-hmm. You've got to have the golf course, you've got to have the tennis course, um, and you've got to have the school. Uh, and a lot of the, a lot of these um, types of businesses don't have business schools. Right. Um, and by not having business schools, they're li- letting everyone just try and work it out for themselves. Okay, so if you talk about the other type of structure, which is the corporate, I suppose, building a, a high-rise. Yeah. Okay. But don't corporates need to have their version of golf courses and marinas and tennis courses as well? I, I would advise it, yes. Right. Uh, and they do sometimes. In, in good times, they tend to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in tough times, they tend to cut it out of the budget, mm-hmm. um, which I think... Uh, ask about to tell you the truth mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yes they, they need to do the same things mm-hmm. uh, they need to bring people together they need to invest in the people uh, and when they do they get the energy and they get the return from it right mm. and so uh, if you looked at um, perhaps a good corporate example and a good um, land developer example in terms of you know actual examples of Australian businesses that in your opinion have done it well not necessarily ones that have been involved with Shirlers, but yeah. that you've spectated. You yeah. know, what would you? What would be examples that you draw on? Oh, crikey! I, I, well, I mean, I don't, I don't normally work with corporates, um, uh, but just recently, uh, there's a company uh, in Springwood uh, called uh, Protec. Right. Uh, and Mark Mealy, uh, we've since done some work with him uh, in the business of brand. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure he won't mind me mentioning this um, uh, because I, I look at his culture and I see it's stunning. Uh, he's, he's really focused on how to really get the culture of his organisation uh, really collective um, and making sure everyone's looked after. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's got, uh, I think, 200 internal employees and 2,000 external. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, he, and he really is looking to see how he can um, help people, genuinely help people, uh, and make sure that they enjoy their work and, and get fulfilment out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and he's grown his business enormously quickly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so he's taken his business from um, uh, six figures to seven figures. And then I started working when he was, uh, we started first having our discussions when he was seven. Now he's uh, um, nine figures. So he's into the hundreds of millions. Right. Um, so just a really impressive way of approaching the business. Mm-hmm. Um, on the flip side, um, I don't really want to mention <laughs> companies that I've seen that are on the on the on the opposite side. I didn't ask for those. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, yeah, because I've seen lots of businesses actually fall over. Right. Um, as a result of bad culture. Right. What about um, uh, you know they're needing to hire in talent. Uh, at a leadership level, mm-hmm. um, uh, the owner has built a culture and they've built systems and process to enable them to grow and build brand and you know they're well and truly, you know they've drunk the uh, the Kool Aid yeah. and uh, they're on the you know on the right path. When they're going to bring people into their business, you talk about you know some of the opportunities and challenges faced from a recruitment point of view. Yeah, recruitment's a really fascinating one. Uh, and I, this is where I see the majority of the bigger mistakes. Um, so uh, if, you're a, if you're a business in the millions uh, wanting to go into the tens and hundreds, uh, recruitment and people is the most critical element. Mm. Uh, and it's, it's about working out well, what type of people do you need mm-hmm. uh, at what point. Mm-hmm. 
uh, quite often uh, people will recruit for um, to, to incremental growth mm-hmm. rather than for strategic growth. Mm-hmm. And so therefore they'll, they'll recruit lower level that will then find a, um, a limit. Right. And they would justify that by saying, well, we, we can afford to pay the salaries commensurate with where the business is now versus where we would like it to be. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So, so businesses will only uh, invest in what they can afford. Mm-hmm. Right? So therefore, they're not, they're not funding their growth uh, properly. Right. Uh, whereas it's, it's like brand as well. So a lot of people will build a brand for where they are, mm. not a brand for where they could be. Yeah. Uh, and they don't build a brand that's big enough yeah. to, to, house the, the, to house the growth. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I go to presentations by CEOs regularly as part of you know, these lunches run by AICD and QT and, and so on and so forth. And these leaders stand up and they have these cliche phrases. Um, I went to one recently and uh, I actually had to leave <laughs> because it was just driving me crazy. But, you know, my success is not due to me, it's due to having good people around me. I mean, everybody says that. They say it to the point that it's almost a dumb thing to say because, <laughs> you know, it, you know that is, um, people get that. Yeah. But I suppose what they don't necessarily get is uh, if I want to have a step change in my business rather than incremental growth, and I determined that I need, you know, uh, bigger horsepower in terms of my executive leadership team, but I can't afford it, then, uh, you know, as an executive recruiter, you know, talking to owners and CEOs and chairs about this regularly, they almost don't know what they can do as alternatives um, to simply saying, well, we can't afford the salary. Yeah. Well, every every, every single business I walk into uh, is leaking money everywhere. Right. Uh, they're leaking money in time. They're leaking money in capacity. They're leaking money in capability. They're leaking it. They're leaking it in margin. They're leaking it in sales opportunities. Mm. It's they're leaking it everywhere. Mm. Uh, as soon as you can find out where the leaks are. And you can look at the structural what what structural um, issues that is, might be sitting there. Mm. You can always find the money. So, are you suggesting that they would find the money before they hire, or yes. they would put the responsibility on the hire to find the money? Uh, no, they find the money before they hire. Right. Um, so they're going to have a look at the structure, and, and, and if if they can't afford to put on the next person, then there's, structurally there's something wrong. They haven't planned it out. Hmm. Yeah. What, what, what if, you know, uh, I'll give you a specific example. I'm picking up a CEO role with an organisation tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, founder and CEO uh, yeah. has owned the business, I think, for about 20 years. Yeah. Uh, growing it to, I suppose, their capability. Yeah. Have attracted a board of um, investors uh, who um, uh, have said to the founder and CEO, look, you need to... Um, uh, step out and bring somebody into this role. Uh, they've been trying to fill the role for two years, uh, unsuccessful in terms of hiring. I don't know why yet, but um, you know, to t- to turn around and say to them, "Okay, founder and CEO, you need to bring in you know a much bigger gun to take the business forward." Yeah. Um, but prior to doing that, there's a whole heap of work 
that you need to do in order to find the money to fund the CEO. Oh, they would say, well, that's what I'm employing the CEO to do. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I get your point. So so you don't have to do a whole heap of work. Right. Yeah. But if, if, if a business can't afford the, 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 the calibre, they've got to look for a different lever. lever. Right. Right. So, but first and foremost, I always find that there's there's a heap of money sitting there. Now, if they don't want, if they want the CEO to find that money, then that's fine too. Yeah. Yep. Which could be an STI. You know, uh, we we can meet your overall expectations, but we're tying some of it to performance because you have to find the money in order to pay your bonus. Correct. Well, that's and that's right. So that's yeah. that's the lever. But I what I. I, I generally encourage um, a couple of different levers. Number one, there's uh, so if you if you want to take a business, I'm actually working with a business down in Sydney at the moment. They, they're going through from the 17 mil to 20 mil now. They're about to go to 22, right? And we're working with them to take them to 120. Yeah. So uh, we're building, helping them build the brand to get to that 120, which is a much bigger vision. Mm-hmm. It's not an incremental vision. Mm-hmm. So then we sort of say, well, at 120, what sort of what sort of level of capability have you got inside this business? Mm. And it's a much higher level than what they had growing to the 20 mil. Yeah. Right. So th- through this process, and they've they've had a few people uh, move on. Yeah. Uh, which has been a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that therefore they can rehire, and what they're realising is what they were paying before is about half of what they need to pay to take mm. them to where they want to go. But are they expecting the person on double to do the work of the two previous people? Under no, them? no. Right. No. So they're going to be doing different work. They'll, yeah. be, they'll be running teams. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, again, you know, through my own experience, people will say, well, you you know, if we talk about CEOs predominantly, you need a certain CEO at, at you know, almost like you have a prime minister for wartime and you have a prime minister yeah. for um, peaceful times. Uh, a business will say we're at one certain milestone in terms of revenue, we need somebody for three to five years to take us on the journey to where it needs to be and then we get rid of them and we get in the next level of CEO. But it sounds to me as though what you're saying is what you're better off is to get the big gun immediately and let them Pull the business towards the vision, correct, rather than pushing it. Yep, yep. And the way, and, and then, then you incentivize them accordingly. So you don't, you, you want someone uh, to that it understands growth and understands how to build, uh, create growth. Yep. Um, so they can, so they set a vision. So the one down in Sydney, we're setting the vision um, at 120 mil. Yep. Uh, we're doing the recruitment towards that. Yep. They're building the brand towards it. They're building the product ecosystem towards it. They're building the channel strategy around it. it. So the strategy is all being developed as we speak. Mm. Then what they'll do is they'll recruit in a CEO to do the implementation of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and the CEO will then be remunerated on a couple of different things. Yeah, uh, The CEO is remuner- remunerated on um, an income, so that, but the income is less than what you would pay someone in corporate. Right, yep. because there's more upside. There's more more upside. Right. But what they then do is they get bonused up in terms of what we call um, an equity uh, equity arrangement. Yeah. Um, and they get released small or very small percentage, but at high uh, dollar value mm. equity to get to the destination. Right. Um, and it's, it's an option scheme. Yeah. So they've got skin in the game. They've got skin in the and game. And what about the... Um, you know, they're supporting infrastructure of leadership team. CEO has a, typically will need a CFO, a COO, a CMO, yep. a CHRO, etc. Yeah, yeah, they're they're all part of the same scheme. Right. So all the key players that are going to take the business to the yep. 120 right. are all on that scheme. Mm-hmm. Uh, with with the view that at that point they'll exit. 
mm-hmm. or they've got the choice of exit, or they've got the, the, the choice to just roll it in and go again. So let's assume that somebody is listening to this podcast, they're not a CEO, they might be an aspiring CEO. Mm-hmm. Um, They've done their MBA or they've done their formal qualifications. Yep. Um, they're now sort of learning through doing. Yep. Um, it sounds to me as though there is immense IP here, you know, in terms of what could help them to really stand out from the crowd uh, um, and accelerate their career towards their goals. Yep. Um, uh, what would you say about that? Well, the, the most important thing about uh, being a CEO and or an aspiring CEO is understanding how growth works. Yeah. So a lot of large corporates, if people come out of a large corporate, corporates have got their own inherent growth mechanisms. Right. Uh, and what they do is they gobble up smaller businesses. They yep. do it through acquisition. Yeah. Uh, and they do it through consolidation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one form of growth. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, when you're taking a business, say, from uh, 1.8 to 12 to 24 to 120, uh, you've got to know, understand the, the various different types of growth. Mm-hmm. And the better you understand the types of growth, the, better, the quicker that you can actually grow a business. Mm-hmm. So there's three, there's three types of growth. Firstly, there's sales growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's margin growth. And there's strategic growth. Okay. So, so sales growth is just uh, how you get uh, more referrals from existing, how you create channels to mm. give you referrals. That's the sort of sales mm. approach. Mm. Uh, margin growth is how you uh, look to extend your business uh, and uh, do pricing and packaging and put new product lines on and improve processes and systems and, and look at see how you can get greater leverage. Mm-hmm. Whereas strategic growth looks at the asset that sits in the roof. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the thing that actually is going to really drive growth really quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a much more substantial play. Mm-hmm. Now, all three are important for business to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, but quite often people... So these are, these are the growth strategies for private enterprise yep. versus corporate who are doing it through M&A and consolidation. Yeah. Right, yeah. okay. Yeah. So, so this wouldn't necessarily apply across into corporate or could they just don't understand it? Oh no, I mean corporates can be very smart and very understand this um, oh. uh, but then a lot of them miss it um, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example Telstra, mm. uh, Telstra missed it uh, they missed their strategic advantage mm-hmm. uh, and the government that forced them to, to sell down uh, but, but they could have structured it completely differently and mm. they'd be, they'd be um, flying high right now. Mm. Uh, it's like um, I, I'm doing a lot of talks for the CEO Institute and other CEO clubs at the moment, and uh, I'm talking about uh, the 2031 and talking about the next lot of major growth economically is yeah. coming. Is coming. We've got massive growth coming mm. uh, economically, um, and I'm talking to them about they've got to be careful that, that not to have their own Kodak Kodak moment. Right. Um, and Kodak was a company that missed missed it yeah. because they didn't see what the, what was sitting in their roof. Mm-hmm. So if I use that as the, as, the, as the example of one that's really gone pear-shaped, um, so Kodak invented uh, the digital camera, yeah. um, but their context that they were running at the time when they assessed whether to proceed with that product or not was that they were a film company. The actual physical film that would be developed and make money. Correct. Yeah. So they looked at where they were making money today. Right. Right. 
Uh, any business that's looking at how they're making money today, mm. that's not looking at where they're going to be making their money tomorrow, mm. the next five years is going to be very interesting for them. Mm. There's going to be a lot of businesses that go out of business in mm. the next five years mm. uh, because they'll be overtaken by businesses that are sitting in a more strategic space. Mm-hmm. Now, just have a think about this for a moment. If Kodak had chosen a different context, what context could they have chosen which would mean that they would still be relevant today? What business could they have been in? And where I came to that was um, if they were in the business of memories. Right. So the whole purpose of taking a photograph was to create a memory, yep. not to produce a film. Right. Now, if they had ran a contract in the context of memories, they would have likely have said, right, the product, right, of a digital camera is just another memory device. Yeah. They probably would have gone and bought a whole lot of data storage mm. bases so that mm. people could store their memories in the, in the cloud, and they'd probably be owning a whole lot of data centers and a whole lot of cloud storage facilities where people would be paying them a retainer today, mm. and they wouldn't have had a Kodak moment. Mm. Because interestingly, I mean, you, you use the word memory from the perspective of film capture people's memories. Hmm. So it's kind of a, I'm not sure if what word, how I'm trying to describe it, but it's a feeling word. Yeah. And yet it also has a direct, it's a product word. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so what's an example of somebody who's done that well? Uh, well, there's lots of businesses doing it well now. Right. Uh, and they're all there's lots of businesses. I mean, uh, Google. Yeah. <laughs> right. What what what's business? What business are they in? Uh, and they're a search business. Yeah. Uh, and they're doing extremely well, and they stick with it. Yeah. Um, so all of if you use uh, Google Mail instead of email, uh, what you'll find is Google Mail is m- a much better search um, facility than email. In what respect? Well, it just works better. You mean if you're looking at your inbox and you're trying to find something? Yeah. Right. It's much easier to find it okay. in Google right. than it is in email. Yeah. Because the search facility works better. Right. And because that's where the foundation came from. Sure. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an interesting example. Um, uh, yeah, this, uh, this is really fascinating. I, I suppose um, if I was an aspiring CEO or an incumbent CEO and... I'd like to really get a much deeper understanding of what you're talking about. Obviously, there's only so much we can cover off in a short podcast. What What are the? Um, where can they, you know, get access to this kind of uh, information? Yeah. So um, the, the the business of brand, right? Uh, the one that we've brought out from the UK. Yeah. Um, that one there is stellar. It, okay. Uh, it, it 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 explains all the different types of growth. Mm. Uh, it talks about the relationship between brand, product, channel, and sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, it talks about the relationship of the strategic asset, and it talks about the relationship with that with the foundations as well, mm-hmm. and as well as the culture. So that one there gives the overarching context to business, mm-hmm. and they've very successfully worked out the order to do it in. See, business business is a lot about um, speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you want to go grow a business fast, you need to know what order to put the strategies in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you know that, you can grow a business extraordinarily quickly. Mm-hmm. And business of brand, equally applicable to both the corporate and the private sector? Yeah. And, yep. uh, and if people want to find that, how do they find that? Uh, they just have to go to businessofbrand.com. Okay. Uh, and they'll, they'll find a website there that uh, 
Um, it, it won't ch- show you too many products and services. They'll show you a bit more brand videos and stuff. Right. Like that. So yeah. Okay. And it's, and it's relatively new, so it's very new to Australia. So sure. you won't see a lot of Australian content on there yet. Right. Um, and I know. I mean, you you mentioned you uh, you've studied this business growth metrics. Yeah. And I know from our previous conversations that you have a sort of a. 90-day or a 120-day sort of Kickstarter program. Yeah. Does that fit within that growth metrics business? Yeah, yeah. Right. So so what growth metrics does, it goes, that works with every type of business. So we run public programs for the smaller businesses wanting to go from six figures to seven. Yeah. Uh, and then we run smaller group workshops from said business wanting to go from into the millions to the tens of millions. Yeah. Uh, and quite often we'll then do project work for those ones as well. Right. And we'll run private programs for them. Yeah. Which gets all their gets all their margin cleaned up, gets all their leaks um, uh, 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 fixed, mm. um, so that therefore they're able to grow and and, and with purpose. Mm. Um, so it gives it really gives a good solid foundation mm. for the growth to happen. And I think isn't there an example of where one of the sort of local councils engaged you to work with their local businesses or something like that? Uh, we've done quite a lot of those sort of. Yeah, oh yeah, we've done that. I've done that in uh, public programs and run it out for governments. Right. Uh, run it out for um, uh, associations. Um, Gladstone, inter- in, inter- in, interesting. That's the one I was thinking about. Yeah, Gladstone t- took us up there because Gladstone was in a hole uh, with the, all the gas works being completed. Sure. Um, and so uh, they got me up there to help them, uh, businesses actually correct themselves yep. because they'd, they'd fallen into a hole. Um, so we had to do uh, a bit of uh, fast work to get them all right-sized. Right so and that this they, was a whole variety of different types of businesses? Yeah, yeah. There were 50 different businesses right. in the room at so the time. So all the local hairdresser, the news agent, through to yep. the engineering yep. consulting firms? Yeah, yeah. Wow, was, that would have been interesting. It was, it was fascinating. Yeah. I, I don't think we had any hairdressers, but we had car rental companies right. and the like. So, okay. But we had uh, good, great discussions around what they could do to to even it out and to pull themselves out of the bit of a hole that they okay. were in. So, yeah. Right, good stuff. So look, uh, I know that you've uh, got other things to do. So before we wrap it up, just uh, talked a lot about business today and we've talked a bit about your background in science. So tell us you know, what's Tim all about when he's not working. <laughs> um, uh, I love my golf, uh, I love my skiing, uh, and I love my boats. Right. So, uh, and of course, your wife and your children. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I see that as work. <laughs> uh, it's funny. Right. I, I ask that question a lot, and I, you know, it's uh, although I'm sure when it comes down to it, most people would say their kids are number one. But when they say, "Oh, I love my golf," and, uh, by the way, I, I kind of like my kids too. Um, no, my kids are great. So yeah. I've got I've got two wonderful kids, oh, um, and they're. They're really, um, they're they're really turning out to be fantastic people. Oh, that's excellent. Um, and so that's all due to my wife. Uh-huh. So uh, so I do work hard. Yeah. Um, and and uh, she's burdened more with that than than, than I. Uh, so she does a wonderful job. Uh, and then she also allows me to get out and play some golf every now and again. But Good on you, Jackie. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> uh, and then uh, we do enjoy the boat, and we do, like, uh, at the end of the year, we're going skiing, and that's the family thing. That's uh-huh. the, the thing that we all do together. Excellent. Skiing and boating. Well, that's great. So, look, uh, for people who are listening, uh, if you want to connect with Tim, you can certainly do that via LinkedIn and uh, via the Sherlaws Australia website. Is that right? Yeah, or Growth Metrics. Actually, Growth, growth Metrics is the best place to come these days. Sure. Uh, that's the point. Okay. Um, thanks very much for everybody who's listening in today. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Tim. Uh, I certainly did, and it's really sort of, I had a few moments in there where I had to jot down some little notes to myself, a few little aha moments, 
Um, uh, so uh, anyway, great to talk to you, Tim, and uh, have a fantastic afternoon. Yeah, wonderful. Thanks, mate. Thank you for listening to the Arate podcast with Richard Triggs. If you'd like to accelerate your executive career journey, Richard invites you to join his CEO Incubator community on LinkedIn. Just search for CEO Incubator in LinkedIn groups and click on the Ask to Join button to apply. We'll see you in the community. The Arate podcast is brought to you by the Experts On Air podcast network.